Constrained writing is a literary technique in which the writer is bound by some condition that forbids certain things or imposes a pattern. Is that not like a, a haiku? Google, does haiku count? Yeah, I think it does. As constrained right Well, we'll just ask Google. Yes. So uh, we obviously haven't done an episode in a couple of weeks, something like that. More, more than that? More than that? No. Oh my! What more? Yeah, more. Okay. I mean, I was gone for I was gone for two weeks. Yeah, I think we had some traveling going on and some just general busy times. So didn't get around. Busy to it. times. You know how it is. But uh, we are back. We're doing an episode just after WWDC. Dab, which dab. obviously is the big no, which obviously is the biggest event of the year, not as releasing a podcast. But before we get into everything, um, I have some follow up. I am no longer carrying field notes in my seat case, and I'm no longer carrying a jet stream with me at all during the day. Crazy. What? 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 You don't carry a field notes? No. This is a big change. It's been years. It's been years. It is. Um, I. I realized that I have, I think, it took me three months to finish one at the start of the year, and then it's been another three months, and I've got halfway through one, and I figured I'm not obviously, I'm obviously not using it. Um, I'm using other things, and also, I don't ever need to use my Jetstream, so I no longer carry them. But you're only only using the Jetstream in the uh, field notes, right? Yeah, that's the only time I'd use it, and to be fair, not that I hate it, but I much, much prefer to use my fountain pens wow you've you've you have been completely converted i have and just a second note on this is we spoke maybe last episode of the episode before about uh my field notes renewal coming up uh, for my subscription and i did not renew it so was the um mile is the mile marker i can't remember i'm actually using one of these editions at the minute was that your last one are you going to get any more it was yeah uh, I don't. I, I don't plan on it right now. I have literally shelves full of field notes to use. Yeah. I. I to be fair, I actually did get one out this morning. I got one of the larger. I forgot what they called them. To be fair, I've got it here. You know the the larger sixty four page notebooks that you get. Um, yeah, the um, black ones. Yeah, or, I've literally yeah. got one of those out this morning, and I'm using a Kurotoga in it because I already set this up as a. I have this book because that's like a project book. And I kind of was thinking about this project lately. I wanted to have a look at it again, so I have that out. Yeah. But that's not one you carry around with you. And that's, no. that's the change, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, I had replaced it with a, another fountain pen in uh, instead of the Jetstream. And I've actually taken around one of the Hobonichi travel notebooks, which is a Tomoe River notebook. Yeah, it's, it's that, actually, that one isn't the travel one. That's the... Um, oh, sorry. I've forgotten what it's called, but but I know which one you mean. It's it's like it's got tear out pa- pages, isn't it? The Tomorrow River paper that you can just kind of, well, it's designed to be teared out, not that you would. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it's around the same size as a field notes. Is that right? Yeah. Or is it the same? No, it's the same size as a. It's an A six, isn't it? Uh no no no. Oh, okay. It's smaller. Well, than, it's smaller than my uh Hobonichi original. Yeah. I know the one that you mean. I've had a few of them myself. Yeah. So so obviously the fountain pens work in those fine. Yeah, exactly. So I'm carrying that around. Um, and at the moment, I'm just kind of writing down what fountain pens are using what ink in it as I, as yeah, I do. As you do. But yeah, 
that's that's my follow-up so so there's um there is a a new hobonichi plane there is. There a6 is. notebook I, I because it's because that's like the only thing i want from from their uh, website i haven't done an order yet mm. but i would like to get one at some point i doubt they're gonna sell out or anything crazy so it's just a matter of time really but i'd like to try one they're they're, they're not as thick as the as the um as a full-size tetra or the original or anything yeah. like that but they are certainly bigger than the one that you're using there yeah and when you showed me those i was like that is that is the notebook that i want i've been using rhodia paper basically for everything i've got stacks of just rhodia paper around now in in those plastic boxes but i'm carrying around an actual rhodia pad in my bag a5 right yeah and i was thinking that it's nice to have the rhodia paper and i'm looking forward to getting that case from the pen um pen addict the kickstarter yeah and i'm looking forward to carrying around that but i was thinking as well if i had like i write endlessly in in my in my original hobonichi for my my journaling if I could do the same thing that I do with my daily notes, but in that same size with fountain pens in that, you know, paper that I know and, and love so much, that would be amazing. Yeah. So when are we doing an order is the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, the, that is the question. Because it was, that was the only one I wanted. I haven't, um, I haven't wanted to do the order just yet, but um, I'm sure at some point, because yeah. you know how it is. You end up looking, you're like, oh, I can't, can I really you know, justify the fact that we're going to have to pay shipping and uh, whatever tax on top of it. If all I'm getting is like two notebooks that are like a few pounds. Yeah. I, I, the bigger thing for me is that, I mean, I really, I've, I've told you this, I really want to get the purple seed as well. Seed. Yeah. And I don't think I could fit the Hobonichi notebook that we're talking about in this as well as my original in my current seed. So, um, yeah, not sure. Not sure. They say that it should work in the Hobonichi cases, but I don't know about in the Notco seed. Yeah. So uh, that's that's my stationary follow up for now. Jules, you mentioned you've been traveling, um, and obviously you got the iPhone XS. Uh, I do. Yeah. So it's it's kind of it's kind of follow up because we we talked about the um, the new phone I think last time um, and some of the things that is kind of better for me. Um, so I thought it was worth kind of mentioning. I tried out the eSIM, which was one of the, one of the big selling points for me was to get the eSIM. It worked. I used, um, I used T-Mobile when I was in the U S which the, the experience of actually getting the eSIM set up was not as smooth and as nice as it could have been. But I think that's more on T-Mobile than it is on Apple. Basically the when you go to add an eSIM, it says scan your scan the barcode that you got in Walmart or whatever. Right. Um, but I didn't. I didn't want to do that because it was the first. It was the first day I arrived. I, I was just like straight away. I was like, right, let's sort out some internet because. Um, so I use O2, and I think Jordan, you're in the same. And when when we go to the US, we do get free data now. Uh, it's not free. No, not in the US. You get it for like. A couple of quid a day for an unlimited, and I'm using that in air quotes. You can't see it, but I'm air quoting it. Okay, well, it's, it was my understanding it was it was free, but but really bad, and it's and it is really bad, right? It's kind of unusable, right? Yeah, it's not free, and it is very bad, so uh, it's like a it's lose lose. <laughs> yes, so I thought um, so I thought I would try out uh, the eSIM, which was which was one of the big things was the fact that um, not everybody, but 
but quite a few people add me on iMessage using my phone number instead of my email address. I don't really know how it decides, but I do know that last time I was in the US, I I put a different SIM card in my uh, iPhone 7 Plus. And um, that meant that iMessage got confused. I sent like, you know, dog pictures to Andrew and it came through as a different person and we lost the threads that we had originally and people couldn't phone me and and people couldn't text me and all that stuff. So the eSIM is great because essentially uh, I just said, okay, T-Mobile, I want a, um, you know, a a short um, pay-as-you-go style service purely for the internet. Uh, They give you a mobile number anyway. But um, the, the reason I went with T-Mobile was that uh, you can just download an app from the app store and do it that way. It was just uh, super bad. <laughs> Basically, um, the option that I went for was the 20, I think it's 21 days service. Uh, and I think it's got something like, I want to say like four gigabytes, but maybe it's two gigabytes. And um, once it's gone, it's gone. There's no way of topping it up. You literally, you, you, you uh, enroll using the app. And it gives you no services for doing, for adding uh, additional credit onto it. It gives you no services for changing anything. Like if you follow any of the normal T-Mobile instructions for doing things like, um, you know, topping up or finding out credit, none of that stuff works. It basically gives you 21 day, a, a 21 day burner phone number and uh, internet. But, but the internet was very fast, very good. I actually, used it all within the space of something like uh eight days eight nine days so i got so i had to get a second number because there's no way of topping it up um and then the second number i had got a lot of text messages i think it was someone in a school who had been subscribed to like a text messaging service so i was constantly getting messages about uh the dance club um <laughs> yeah when practice was Ah, they they must go through so many phone numbers. Um, but it, it, I'll tell you what, it worked really, really well. I didn't need to open that SIM tray at all. Uh, it showed the kind of two, um, you know, that little weird icon. You kind of get used to it for a while. It's got that weird icon in the top where it's basically showing you two radio signals. Mm-hmm. Um, and my O2 was on T-Mobile. Kind of, it chose T-Mobile as its as its carrier of choice when I was over there. And, um, the, the eSIM used it too. Um, I, it just, it works so well. It's so, so much better for traveling than the, um, than using the, the, the previous phone. So yeah, I was, I was actually really happy with that. So I thought it was, I thought it was worth, um, worth, it's not really, it's kind of follow up, I suppose on the phone. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, it was, uh, it was worth mentioning on that trip in general. I tried to, uh, keep it minimal in terms of, I mean, I, I tend to do that anyway in terms of travel, but I tried to keep it minimal in terms of tech and I didn't take my noise cancelling, my large Sony noise cancelling headphones. Um, Why not? So I just, I, I really like having as little stuff on pos- as possible on me when I am in the airport. But, I mean, noise cancelling headphones are like the one important thing for traveling. <laughs> yeah. So I used, um, I basically used the AirPods instead and um it wasn't bad it wasn't bad at all uh don't get me wrong like the obviously noise cancelling is wonderful and uh it's certainly uh especially on the plane itself it knocks out a, mm-hmm. a huge chunk of the noise but in terms of keeping things simple 
just having the AirPods, it felt like super light. Like when I was moving around the airport, even when I was on the plane, like I didn't have these because in, in particular for my larger Sony headphones, um, like I have to have them around my neck. Uh, like I can't put them in my bag because the, the, the bag that I actually carry on isn't suitable for putting them in there. It's like it's, it's quite a small bag. So I just thought I'd try something different. And what I actually did is I took a pair of uh, wired lightning headphones just in case the battery went flat on the AirPods. They didn't go flat. Um, so I didn't need to say that. And I did take my in-ear Sony noise cancelling headphones uh, in my uh, in the my tech luggage just in case I hated it on the trip there and mm. wanted some noise cancelling on the <laughs> way back. But um, in the end, I've, I kind of decided I didn't need to. So I've made myself a note for next time not to bother taking spare headphones because it it just wasn't it just wasn't necessary. And I want to take as little stuff as possible. Like the the min like the thing that I really want to do is like they have the minimum stuff on me so that i don't have pockets full of stuff i don't have a bag full of stuff it's just like i have what i need and and no more um i was fortunate enough on both flights to have a usb charging uh port so yeah you know keeping keeping the iphone uh, the actual iphone itself powered um and i didn't really need to actually top up the iphone the i sorry the airpods case because the airpods case battery is fantastic uh the the airpods themselves did uh you know go flat at one point and i just put them in the case and they charge really quickly so i don't know it you know the the combination of the three devices worked really well for me you know i have i have my watch i have my iphone and i have my um airpods and that was the majority of of what i did when i was on on the plane i did take my kindle but i didn't read it at all on the way there and i but i did on the way back but not particularly long i would still take it though because it's a perfect device for doing that kind of reading. Um, it's just, I didn't really, I wasn't really in a reading mood on the flight. I listened to uh, podcasts and, and music um, and an audio book, but I wasn't really kind of in a, I wasn't in a super reading mood, but I did mm-hmm. read for um, a couple of hours on, on the way, on the way back. Um, but yeah, just really kind of keep trying to keep it minimal. And I think it worked really well. Um, you know, I, I get better at this every time I, every time I fly. Um, and I see other people say, oh, I always take my, you know, my, my, um, my lip balm and my, uh, my, um, blanket, blanket. (laughs) I don't know why I I forgot the word blanket. People take their blankets and, and things like that. And I just, it's just so not me. I literally just want you know, my, I, I carry my computers with me on the on the plane because I, I don't want to put them out of my sight. That doesn't necessarily mean that I plan on using them. I just I just want to have as little stuff on me as possible for that flight. And um, and I think it, it worked quite well. Um, so I was quite, quite, quite pleased. Mm. I would say, though, when I when I came back, I had the worst jet lag uh, I've had so far because I just didn't I just didn't sleep. And uh <laughs> It took it took a few days to recover. It was pretty hard. Oh, one other thing I would mention, along with the um, noise cancelling, uh, I I tell you what I did notice um, specifically on the way back when I got home and uh, you know the flat was quiet and I just kind of I was exhausted and I laid on the bed just you know there was nothing, it was really kind of quiet. And I could tell that my ears had taken a battering from the 
constant noise of aircraft. Like, yeah. You know, when you can just kind of hear yeah. like noise, uh, it was, uh, that wasn't great. Um, so I think noise cancelling definitely helps with that because you, you know, you don't hear the droning noise of the engine and you don't hear, and you don't have to have volume particularly higher. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I had my volume on full. I didn't have my volume on full, um, on the AirPods, but, um, but I could hear other noises. And I think, you know, after listening to that plane sound for, for so many hours, it really does affect your ears, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I remember, um, so I've never been particularly bad with jet lag or feeling weird after being on so many planes, but I did once get uh, a bit weird after like 36 hours of traveling across multiple planes where we were, I think me and Jordan were sat in Dublin airport and I felt like I was moving. Do you know, like, <sighs> you know, like the first time you go on the, um, you know, in the gym, you got those things that help you run, uh, treadmill, treadmill. Thank you. And like you still feel sometimes like you're still running or like moving or whatever. Or like same with escalators or something. I had that feeling, but I was sat down eating breakfast. I felt like I was on a plane oh, and it was weird. moving. It was super weird. And I was just like, I cannot wait to get home and go to bed. Like, But I've never been particularly bad with going to sleep afterwards or whatever. Once like after a couple of days, once you've like the time zone is reset. Yeah. It is super taxing though, that kind of travel. I mean, it is. It it. It really is because uh, for me in particular, my, uh, my, I've got long legs and I did pay for the extra leg room, um, on, on both, uh, flights, mm. but my, my legs still feel, um, delicate afterwards. It takes yeah. a while for them to get back to normal. It, yeah. It really is. It's, it's quite a taxing experience. I find all public transport is taxing in the same way. I was going to just add that I think driving, like after driving for so long, like, you know, six hours of driving is super, super taxing because you have to be alert and mm. like your your mind's in a different mode where you ha- you are, you have to take action if something happens. So yeah. it's not like you can kind of sit down and read a book or like chill out a bit. It's, it's constantly aware, constantly looking, moving, you know. If you're the driver, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, at least you're on your own time. Like, I don't know. I prefer to drive, you know me. <laughs> yeah. But. I see, I prefer I prefer those long journeys on public transport because then you can do things, right? You can do what you want, like read, write code, read. I can, I can read. Listen to me, listen to music and not uh, with your eyes closed, I guess. You couldn't do that in a car if you were <laughs> yeah. driving. You don't see me closing my eyes on public transport, though. <laughs> Unless you're asleep. Yeah, that was one accidental time, John. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> okay, fine. I woke up with like my watch imprinted on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> However, it's a different kind of taxing. Like, I think I think being a passenger in a car with you while you're driving is not as taxing as being on public transport. However, you can't do as much. Like, if you're on a train, for instance, if you've got a little table, you can do your, your nice work on your laptop or whatever. Yeah, those those little tables on the plane are just not suitable. For no. Uh, I mean, I, of... keep in mind, I'm going economy. I think it was economy comfort or whatever they call it. Um, but yeah, there's I, like, even though I had my computers with me and I did do some stuff on the um, on the Surface Go on the way there because I had two seats next to me that were empty. Um on the way back, I did have someone next to me. And it's just like, 
I'm just not that kind of person that wants to be out sticking elbows in people because mm. I want to be able to type. I would much rather just sit there with my eyes closed and listen to something or, or try and read and just kind mm. of keep to myself. That's, that's basically, um, that's basically the way that I like to do things when traveling, uh, on planes. I have good intentions to do things on planes, like, you know, do lots of work, go through my to-do list and review things or whatever. It's usually like that. And then I find that I just spend most of the time just looking out the window or looking <laughs> at where, where the plane is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do look at where the plane is, but not in the first half. I always wait until it's half, at least halfway through the flight because otherwise it's just depressing. Um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I do, I do think to myself, oh, well, I've got all these options for myself when I'm on the plane, but, um, in no way did I feel bad about the fact that I didn't read a book on, on the way there and I didn't do any work and I didn't look at these things and I didn't do that. Like, it doesn't matter. Like in the moment, all I wanted to do was just kind of sit there and, you know, listen, like passively listen to something or, or, and just kind of sit there with my eyes closed, even though I wasn't asleep. And that's okay. You just got to go with what, whatever yeah. happens. But um, this is why I would still take the Kindle. Like it's good to have the options and that is the best reading option I have. Like I would prefer yeah. that to reading on, on the iPhone screen. Um, so I, I'm, I, I would still continue to take my Kindle, even though out of the you know, over 20 plus flight hours, it was um, in total, I probably spent about two or three of them reading on the kindle it's still worth taking dub dub yes wwdc not dub dub aka dub dub i found it really annoying that they kept saying dub dub so i've been watching a bunch of the um like uh wwdc videos that they've been releasing as part of the the conference sessions and some of the presenters are actually saying dub dub and all i can think is that this is really annoying. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't find it annoying. I do find it, um, I do find it weird. I mean, I, maybe you just need to be there for it to be okay. Perhaps, See, perhaps well, if you're in California, saying dub dub seems cool. No, well, this and, is the thing. Like, so I, it's, it's a, it's been a, a joke on a lot of podcasts about dub dub and like taking the fun out of dub dub and saying things like that. Uh, and I just, I feel like that you can't just take that. It's WWDC to Apple because they're official <laughs> and the people. You could take them out of them. It's us, and we can say dub dub, but they can't, right? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway. I think it was the best dub dub uh, ever, wasn't it? It was, it, I have to say, some people have this, you know, some issues with some things or whatever, but that was a very, very fast paced, um, really impressive keynote with a lot of content. Yeah, in a short amount of time. Yeah, it was two hours fifteen, but they always do a two hour fifteen keynote or whatever, and it was very, very impressive. I want to blast through a couple of things. I know we've got probably some bigger things you want to talk through, but um, the main thing from TVOS was multi user support. Now, obviously, you guys don't have an Apple TV, but for me, I know that, uh, for example, if my girlfriend stays over and I have to travel or something, she wants to sign into her account, so I, I let her do that. But obviously, I have to come back and sign into my own, so it's great. The fact that you can just have a user on my Apple TV. Obviously, if you're a family with people in your house, then you want to have different accounts or whatever or different suggestions. So I'm happy with that, but nothing else major for Apple TV. Uh, there was some more of those awesome screensaver things that they do that I don't think you care for, Jules, but it's all good. They were underwater this time, I think, weren't they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So yeah, my my favorite is the airplane, uh, the airport one. Yeah, watch OS. Um, the three things I picked out for this, one of them isn't even a feature. Calculator, calculator. Okay, calculator. well, there's four now, but um, <laughs> the big one for me was independent apps and the app store on the app and the, the yeah. watch. Now, this obviously hints at something that could potentially come in in September, is that you know you could have an independent watch that you could buy without having a phone, potentially. Potentially, potentially. I just thought of it as, um, so <laughs> I must admit, right, on the, on the Apple Watch, um, I don't have many kind of third party apps. And, um, sometimes, uh, I'm going to be honest, I, I just want something to scroll through when I'm in the bathroom. And, mm. um, I think being able to scroll through the, uh, app store, that's what, that's what I thought when I saw that. I was like, yeah, that's great. I'll be able to read through what the latest apps are and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that was <laughs> that was what I took from that. They also released a bunch of new watch faces that I don't care for because I'm happy with the ones I've got. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't look through them in detail, but I'm pleased to see more watch faces, and I hope they come to the version three. I actually don't know if that's the case, but I assume they are. The thing that bugs me about watch faces, and everybody says it, is that they've had almost is it five years now, I think, and they still haven't allowed developers to make custom ones, and it's just the come on. Yeah, it's it's about time. I mean, come on though, like. How long has the iPhone been out? What like is that a, now? a long, long time. time? Forever. We've had the same co- we've had the same home screen for like the last what oh, god knows. Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Oh, but, will we? Uh, I, oh, um, will we? But on the iPhone, yes. So um, what, yeah, so what I'm trying to get is give it another 5 years and the let it happen. <laughs> I hmm. I think that opening up watch faces developers would be much much better. It would be one of the most important things they could do to make that watch really, really kind of, you know, come alive again. Because it's just like, it, I mean, it's pretty obvious why, what yeah. developers could no, do. I get it. I get it. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Microsoft make uh, custom stuff for um, Android all the time. Um, as a as a big third-party developer, they, they, they make a lot of stuff. Um, tons of people can make uh, yeah. um, watch faces for things like the, the Fitbit and... and um, and the Android Wear, not that necessarily all of them are great, but that's that's the point, right? Not all of the apps on the App Store right. are great, but some of them are real gems. Um, and I think you know, being able to have that kind of you know uh, additional watch face style um, way of being able to install apps like through the App Store would be super super useful. Mm. But uh, I, I mean, to be honest, I basically switch between three watch faces all the time anyway, and I don't tend to use any others. And every so often I kind of flirt with the idea of trying them out, but never really stick with any of the others. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in a, I personally, I don't think it would change my day to day right now, but, but it's, it's more about what I don't know. It's all the, it's all the people out there who can innovate and create amazing designs. Um, But of course, Apple at the moment is, it's, it's basically that Apple knows best as to what a watch face should be. And that's not really the, that's not really the best, the best way moving forward. There's a lot Mm. of talent out there and it'd be good to get that talent onto my wrist. They, so this is obviously, this is more, this is big for me, but not really big for you guys. Um, I was really surprised at Dubai Friday, one of my favorite podcasts, probably my favorite at the moment, uh, getting a reference on the show, uh, on, on the, in the keynote. They they were up on on screen and they're actually on the website at the moment and that is super surprising because I do not see Dubai Friday as a an, like an Apple friendly show 
Uh, they swear a lot. They talk about rude things potentially. Um, so it's very surprising. Uh, but I was happy with that. That was quite big. In the same way that last year when Connected got a reference, I was like, "Oh crap, it's it's Connected." Wow, that wasn't a year. Was that a year? Yeah, ago? it was last last WWDC. Mental. Uh, and the last thing I've got is wind and rain complications. Um, I don't have I don't actually have the weather app installed on my phone, um, and I don't use a third party one. But I would actually quite like wind and rain uh complications in the same way that I have the sunset and sunrise complication on my watch. So. Yeah, that's fine. For me, for me, the uh, calculator, big deal. Um, the uh, the updated health features are always very, very welcome. Mm-hmm. The sound health stuff looked super interesting too. Um, I'm just, I'm just thrilled that they're still adding stuff to the watch. Really, um, I'm yep. really pleased. iOS 13. Um, obviously, the dark mode got leaked just before uh, the keynote, uh, like a couple of days before. But that looks really, really good, and it's integrated into Control Center, which is what we all wanted. Um, yeah, it's like a, you have to hard press on the um, on the brightness to yeah. get to it, but yeah. no complaints. It's okay. Performance improvements: we got thirty percent faster Face ID, two times app launch speed, and fifty percent app download reduction, um, which is good. It's really good. New volume control, which looks a bit funny. The animations are a bit weird, but it's better than it being a block in the middle of the screen. Um, there was a new swipe keyboard which my girlfriend actually got happy about because apparently she misses that from her old phone. And yeah, Win- Windows had that for a while. I didn't use it super often, but it was nice to have. Is that the just your fingers on it and what I was doing with that Swift key thing? Like yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the swipe keyboard. And the thing that I just a slight off topic. The thing that I was a bit bothered about. Uh, with the other, you know, third-party keyboards, is that it would send? I think they sent it like they make suggestions, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure, like, it was remembering stuff that I found quite like personal information. Like it was remembering numbers, for instance, like that I would use for I don't know pin numbers or do you know what I mean? So right. I'm kind of I'm glad uh, Apple have one of them now because I would use that because Apple are usually less inclined to. Yes, I think Apple's keyboard is more intelligent as to whether you are entering in a a pin, a password, or um, if you're using uh, in private yeah. or incognito, whatever it's called, yeah. browsing things like that. Like it, it, it knows not to learn at those mm. points. Whereas the third party keyboards don't have that intelligence, or don't seem to. I don't know. Mm. Uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth selection in Control Center. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was a good one. I was happy with that. Um, oh my goodness! Is that really? By the way, I'm literally I, I didn't watch any of this stuff. So uh, okay, cool. Yeah, you can actually hold down on the Wi-Fi now and, and join a oh. Wi-Fi network. Oh. I know. Oh. Living the dream. By the way, like I'm blasting through some of these, but there is so much. If you go into the Apple website and go in like all the new features oh, yeah. tab, it's a huge, yeah, you can't, impressive we can't, list. We can't go through all. There, there is a there is a massive amount of stuff. I know, but it, it also kind of goes to show it's like, how have we not had this as well? It's like a, we're so, we're going to go, oh my God, I can, you know, I can, I can choose my Wi Fi network from Control Center. <laughs> this is revolutionary. <laughs> uh, oh, hang on. Did we not have that before? Do you know what I mean? It's like a. Hey, Jordan, something you'll like. Oh, no. What is it? Automatic personal hotspot. Yeah, I like this as well. 
So if your iPad drops off of connection, you can have it automatically connect to your phone. Oh. But more importantly, persistent personal hotspot so that when your iPad sleeps, it will not disconnect from your personal hotspot. Oh, oh, that's good. Yeah. Like that would, Okay, that is something that is a bit like a bit not how have we not had this before because that's quite annoying because that's re- that's that, a really yeah, nice yeah, i mean i yeah, don't nice. i don't know of that happening i mean that certainly didn't happen when you had a windows laptop and a windows um pc but on an ipad it's so annoying what you'll do is you will literally you'll be on the train and you'll i don't know you'll start I don't know, texting or you'll listen to music i don't know and you'll have your ipad out and then Five minutes later, it'll gone. You know, it'll be off, and it won't be connected anymore. So you have to go back into settings. Yeah, click, and yeah. It's, it's make sure you're like discoverable yeah. on the phone, oh. and then go on the iPad. Yeah, oh. nah. nah, that's really good. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to using that. One thing that they mentioned that I actually really liked was the sign in with Apple uh, functionality, and this is basically a replacement or something you can use in conjunction with third party sign in. So say you're using Facebook or Twitter to log into a service, um, as your authentication system, you can now sign in with, with your Apple ID. So I think, I think you have to, like, if you're, if you as a developer use Facebook or Google, then you have to have Apple as an option. Yes. Which is which is an interesting choice, and I think if this was Google, then everyone would be people, up in arms. People would have in arms, yeah. But um, but it's not Google; it's Apple. And um, I think my we because we were talking about this on Slack when when it was announced, and I think both of us were like, "Yeah, that's that's a really good idea. That makes a lot of sense." If I have an app, I have to offer. Mm-hmm. I have to offer signing with Apple. No. No. Okay. So only only if you have signed in with third parties like Facebook and Google, then I believe that you also have to yes. offer Apple. So there's no way that you that as a because this is this is for this is for the user, right? This is this is uh, empowering users, not developers. So basically, as a user, if I download and I've done this multiple times, download mm-hmm. an app, and straight away it's like create an account and a password before you can even use the app and and it's like oh or log in with facebook or google yeah. well i don't have a google account there's no way that i'm going to link <laughs> anything to my facebook account ever again hmm. ever so there's no chance i would use that but now they they will say okay well if you're offering those two also offer sign in with apple it will automatically create an email address for you behind the scenes sign you up yeah um, and then basically forward that to you so that if you you can just get rid of it at any point so you don't it oh the service doesn't actually know who you are so it's not like facebook where suddenly it gets access to your entire friends list and and Mm -hmm. all that stuff it's not like google which probably sells your soul it instead it's just as a developer all you see is that it's like some random anonymized user from from apple's Mm -hmm. system like i say i think this is an interesting one because my initial thoughts are like, cool, um, this is really interesting. But um, I want to see how this comes in, in in the future. I think it's, it's going to be one to keep an eye on. As a user, I would use that more than I would. like. So totally agree. Like, I think just on that, I know we've got a lot to go through, but the, you know, up until the point where I started using a password manager, I would be overly conscious of, uh, this was what, a few years, maybe a little bit more than that now, where it's like everything wants you to sign up, right? And I would be more concerned with like passwords initially with these, you know, create an account and oh, it's needs mm-hmm. a password. And 
And since you move into like a password manager, I'm less bothered about. Yeah, the password doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm less bothered about the password now. But now I'm like, hang on a second. It's the key. It's it's the user. It's the user. Yeah, I'm now like, wish I had another email address that, like, do you know what I mean? Like, just for yeah the crap. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can have it generate an email address and then say, okay, I don't want to receive anything from this anymore. Just turn Mm. it off. Then it's just great. And that's the thing, though. That's the thing, though. Like, if I have one email address for all these user accounts, then what's the point? It's like, because you have to manage it. So actually, I think it's a really good idea. But it also is a bit creepy that Apple are going to be a business that effectively controls the world's privacy to, you know, consumer, the consumer world's privacy. Do you know what I mean? I think they've they've realized that actually that's that's a good good stance for them to take, to be heroes of of privacy Mm. as... Uh, as, as a good marketing tactic i don't think i don't think things have really because they they talk about it a lot now about how um they do more of this than other the other folk mm-hmm. um a lot of that hasn't really changed but um i think it i think it's a it's a good yeah. one especially when you look at you, you do a comparison with with google who are under fire again at the moment for um their policies on on youtube and everything else who originally would say that they do no evil and then kind of remove that from there remove yeah, that from that handbook. A bit that, like well you know doing doing evil is okay if you want to do business in china and everything else so um yeah it, it's, it is interesting to see that this is a bit of a revival for that that uh kind of idea but from from apple where they're basically saying look if, if you're using your phone trust trust on this on this apple platform that we're going to do everything we can to protect you and i trust you know it's a crazy thing i do trust apple it's it's odd my my, like i do trust apple with the privacy stuff but it is odd because out of all the companies that i you know i say the big four what do they call them um anger or fang fang that's what they they reference them as fang facebook apple Amazon, Netflix, Google, is it? I don't know. Ah, I don't know. Um, It's an odd one because we trust Apple the most, yet they are also the most secretive. So I was just uh, listening this morning to the um, talk show live with Craig Federighi and someone else from Apple who I can't remember. Apologies. Um, (laughs) Apologies to that guy. Yeah. Um, But, and they were talking about this whole privacy thing. And basically... It's obviously a there is a marketing PR aspect to it, but they were saying that look, we've we've been doing this for a long time. We've been criticized mm-hmm. in the past for doing things on device where other people do it in the cloud, and they say they're better. But you know, we've been doing this whole privacy thing for a long time, and only now it's starting to come out that the the companies who you know were doing this stuff all in the cloud are actually having a lot of problems with this, mm-hmm. and we don't have this. Mm-hmm. We you know we we are we are we always think um, that privacy is is a right. A, a human's right so mm-hmm. so we just think it's the right thing to do and and that's why we do it this way yeah i, I of course it's a marketing thing but it but it, it is true like apple have always been open about their device security um and their platform uh being i don't know a little bit you know when do you remember when jailbreaking was a thing do you know what i mean and it was a cat and mouse game for ages and yeah and and it wasn't because I guess I see it now more than ever. It wasn't just because Apple were were going well. We don't want you to be able to customize the iPhone. It it, it compromises the sec- the security of their platform, 
if everyone was allowed to, you know, everyone jailbroke their phones and could just run root on their phones, etc. And it's, it's a, I don't know, it, it's an odd one because going back to that being open, like you look at, Jules just said something like, they're the heroes of privacy, effectively. They're trying to be the heroes of privacy. Well, weren't Facebook trying to be like the heroes of connectivity, you know, connect the world, right? Originally, that was the goal. And, and what Google were the the heroes of you know, getting to what you advertising. need. Advertising. Well, not advertising. <laughs> you're not the hero of advertising. You're the hero of... Um, it's finding information. Yeah. Really, the, and, and you look at those businesses and you look at Facebook and you look at Google and they have a lot of open source technology. I'm not saying Apple don't, by the way. I'm just saying that historically, I found that the majority of technology that is out in the open, in the cloud, and all these open source tools, I know Apple have a lot. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying that I, when I think of Apple, I think of, it sounds weird that they have less of that. Not for any other reason than, I don't know, maybe they were historically very secretive and they have been open sourcing lots of stuff at the moment and they have a github you know company github etc but mm-hmm. do you know what i mean it's a bit weird like you see facebook and you see google and it's just open source and here's some source code and here's all the things but apple historically like i felt maybe weren't like that but we're putting our trust yeah. we put we put our trust and privacy into them for some reason it's a it's a bit it feels kind of a bit juxtaposed oh we're juxtaposed i hope i've used it correctly let's let's move on there was another announcement, which is the spin-off of iPadOS from iOS. Now, I've heard some people talking about as if this is a completely like like a fork of iOS, but it, I'm pretty sure it's the same code base, but we're just with feature flags or whatever, right? And that adds a bunch of stuff that is tailored for the iPad. It's display class, um, which is obviously different to the iPhone. Uh, one thing being home screen pinned widgets. So the widget section that you have on the iPad and also the iPhone, you can also pin them to your home screen and then pick which ones you want on the home screen. Oh my god, really? Yeah, and and I I widgets for me, at least like I do a lot in, in the notification center slash widgets bit of the iPhone. Um I put a lot of stuff in there. I use it every single day. Oh my constantly. So goodness. I'm happy about that. There's also some really like I know that apps like scriptable and, and shortcuts and stuff can do quite a lot in there, so that should be pretty cool. Um, another huge thing, multiple window support for apps. And you can put multiple apps into SlideOver, for example, and that has its own little, uh, kind of, con- you know, mul- uh, multitasking UI. And there's a really funny moment where, uh, Craig, Feder- uh, Craig Federighi said, you can even put two, uh, Word documents up at once. That's so enterprise. <laughs> and, uh, I enjoyed that. It is, it is nice to have two Word documents up at the same time. A uh, little bit of trivia, that's quite difficult to do on Windows because of the way that Word Hank actually manages Windows, but whatever. Mm. We also got updates to the files app with USB drive support and zip and unzip, as well as like SMB servers and stuff like that support for the files app. And there was also, there's a new API, which um, apparently uh, Craig was talking about how they want uh, like apps like OneDrive and uh, Dropbox to use that API to get access to other parts of the file system. So, um, with permission. But yeah, so it seems like they're doing some good things there. Uh, font management, which um, is cool. It's, it's fonts. It's good to have, I guess. But nine millisecond latency on the pencil. Ha, <laughs> Jules. <laughs> is that good? Well, 
I mean, to be fair, I'm being is quite this, sarcastic is this, now. Is this different? What's changed? What, how many it, milliseconds is it better? It was 20 or 21 milliseconds before. And, mm. well, the reason, like... So there's two reasons why this is pretty cool. One, Jules used to say that the it was the same latency for the Apple Pencil as the, the Windows, the Microsoft Pencil thing. What do they call it? Microsoft Pen? Surface Pen? Mm-hmm. And I, it was actually one millisecond difference. And yeah, you know, so just want to say that. But now nine milliseconds. Uh, so that's over 50% improvement by a software update. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I it's obviously like, that's more of a technical thing that I'm like excited about. The fact that it's like a software engineering thing there. They had a floaty keyboard. You can you can pop the keyboard out to a little floaty window and uh, drag that around. Uh, but also mouse support, uh, which is an accessibility feature. So you can plug in a USB mouse. Um, I think it's also up in the air right now if you can use Bluetooth mouses. I'm not sure, uh, but you can plug in a mouse and, and click around. Uh, so. Yeah, definitely. We tested it with a with a Bluetooth mouse. It okay, cool. Works. Sweet. It's supposed to work on the iPhone too, but I didn't test that. Yeah. Controller support too. That's, yes, which is, a, which is a big deal. Yeah, Xbox um, and uh, PlayStation. Some pretty pretty cool updates, um, and we've just kind of blasted through them. But there were there was a really really good section of the keynote there. Oh, you guys, you guys use iPads a lot. I'm using mine right now as we as yeah. we speak. I'm looking at I'm looking at mine right now. I'm just looking at it. It's just a little so lovely. I know from obviously the things that we discussed there about the watch and um, and iOS like those things um a good solid updates to me too so i'm looking forward to um to getting these these updates myself so i assume it's just even more so for you because you've also got ipads and Andrew, you've also got uh, mac os yeah i've been using both my ipads this morning and my phone and i'm sat on my mac right now so um i'm happy with all this stuff before we go into the mac um the home pod got voice recognition and multi-user support for all of its notes things now we don't have home pods and I think Jules and, and I are quite interested in getting one, but I can't justify mm-hmm. the price. If I was going to get a, one of those speakers, that is the one that I would get. Yeah. Mac OS Catalina. Um, there is a new Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, and TV app splitting out of iTunes, which had a really funny section from Craig again about um, putting a calendar in there and mail in there and then a dock. And that was hilarious. I just find, like, I was saying to you, Jules, the other day, that I find this whole thing about Craig being able to laugh about these and the way um, he has a connection with the developers who are there, but also the, his his personality means he can, like, do these kind of jokes that are obviously making the joke that iTunes is bloated, um, but just being able to take it a step further, which is really funny. Yeah. You're you're a little sad about, I mean, not I don't know, tell me how you feel about there not being a, an Apple Music app for Windows. Yeah, well, iTunes is absolutely f***ing terrible. So um, it's it's a shame that uh, that they haven't given that kind of that nice picture of of Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, and TV for Windows. There's still time. I mean, but I think for right now they're, they're clearly focused on on making them work for um, for the Mac, which and, and you can't blame them. Mm. But uh, man, that that iTunes is so bad, and I do not use it to listen to music. I purely used it to do backups, and in fact, since I switched to using iCloud, I haven't. I don't think I've even launched it. That is the thing, right? Like when I think about music and podcasts and all that kind of stuff, I do not think about my computer. Yeah, to- totally, totally. I, I it's just it's actually. Um, I mean, I I had 
uh, when I use Groove Music and I had it on my Windows phone and I had it on the PC, I, I absolutely did uh, switch between them because mm-hmm. it was super convenient to be able to do so. Mm-hmm. So I could listen, I could have my Bluetooth headphones connected to my Surface. I could be playing Minecraft and listen to uh, Audible book or uh, whatever at the same time. And that was, and it was great and it worked really well. Uh, since moving to the iPhone, I have not once listened to anything on my PC like that at all. Um, I would, I would actually like it purely for discovery, like being able to have a nice large UI to look around to see what the latest albums are and to maybe try things out. But um, I think because because of the way that I tend to use my music now, I don't think I would do, like sit there and listen to an entire album on yeah. the Surface for me. The I don't use Apple Music, um, but I do use iTunes on the Mac for watching the videos because I buy things on iTunes, so I have to use yeah. iTunes for that. I so will be able to use the TV app for that. Yeah, now. exactly. So that'll be nice. It'll be more. Um, it'll be easier because it's a bit laggy sometimes. Um, I won't have to use it to sync music to my iPad anymore for when I'm doing the podcast editing, which is great because it's got USB support, now, USB drive support now. Um, and Apple Podcasts, I don't care about, but. <laughs> I do I do think that if Overcast is on the Mac on the Mac, for example, because I use Overcast, I don't use Apple Podcasts, um, I would use it. Cause like if I'm sat in the office, like I play things out of my iPad um sometimes because I want to listen to a podcast um without headphones. So I would do that. But like in the office at work, I use Spotify from my phone. However, having the Spotify up on my Mac acts as a remote. So I I I still I don't know if this counts, but I still use Spotify on my Mac purely as a remote sometimes. And if I'm in the office here at home, I will play things out. Yeah, definitely, definitely counts. Same thing. It's like I would I would look for music on Apple Music if I had it on the PC. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that I would, you know, do the majority of my listening there. But yeah, I, it definitely counts. And you know, for for Spotify with the remote stuff is is even better. I, I, Spotify's had that for a while, hasn't it? Because it mm-hmm. does smart speakers and all the rest of it. So I think that's a really yeah. good feature from Spotify. And it'd be cool to have that on. Um, it'd, it'd be pretty cool to have that on on the on the PC as well with uh, Apple Music. But um, I, I I mean, I'm not massively fast about it. I just it would have been like pretty cool if they'd announced that at that time. Mm-hmm. But instead, all it all because uh, I, I saw people talking about it on Twitter because I I'm on a more Microsoft heavy Twitter than than you guys I'm sure um, and I did see people straight away saying what well, what about Windows and and it it was just like a, a one one line that said you know iTunes will continue to be supported on Windows like mm-hmm. somewhere on a page and I just feel like they could have they could have owned that conversation a bit better but mm. it's not a big deal I'm I'm not gonna lose any sleep over it sidecar using the ipad as a second display uh, which also features a touch bar on the ui and pencil support but not touch support now i think you guys have bigger thoughts about this than me but my main thought is that lunar display is is a is a a kind of dongle and an app that lets you do this currently um and everybody because this was rumored beforehand was this um this sidecar situation the thing that everybody's worried about was obviously uh, share locking another another company or app or whatever, but this only lets you trigger uh, you know a display from your Mac to go to the iPad from the Mac. Whereas uh, as part of Lunar Display, you can open up your iPad and trigger it from there. So there is still a market for them. Um, but I think you guys have a have probably some 
not philosophical, but uh, you know, some, some thoughts about this. That, that kind of stuff should be built into the operating system, and it and it is on Android and it is on Windows. So um, good for Apple. It's, yeah, and it's a it's a nice way to get the pencil support. So for if you're an artist, you know, you might be buying a Wacom now, and and you've got mm. this kind of disconnect of the uh, of the screen yeah. and the uh, and the kind of software that you're looking at and now you'll be able to draw directly on photoshop running on a mac using an ipad mm-hmm. it'd be great if you could do that directly on the screen but that's just not what what uh, apple do um so i think this is this is a good this is a good solution uh, for that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um but yeah like i mean i can i can project from my screen my uh from one of my surfaces to the other if i wanted to but um I, it's it's not really something that I, I personally tend to do. I know other people do it, but um, yeah, it's, it, it seems like it seems like it's better for Apple to support this in the operating system than to use a third party. Voice control, which is also on iOS, so on the iOS and Mac. Um, now, I don't use the. I, I would don't think I would use this accessibility feature, but I think this was a very very impressive part of the the keynote. Um, I also saw a talk after where one of the presenters was was demoing it and was on a map and it said, okay, show the grid, go to grid item 14. And he also said something like, I can't remember the exact way it was phrased, but zoom in, zoom in and repeat four times. And the phone was voice controlled, you know, zooming into a grid item four times on a map, which is pretty impressive. And you could say things like show numbers which would add numbers to all of the parts of the UI and you could say 15 and that would like click a button for example. So I think accessibility wise that was that was a very impressive feature. Um any thoughts on that Jules? Yeah, I thought it looked really good. Um it was a, it's a really nice uh, really nice feature to add. The they've already had like voiceover is 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 already pretty well supported in the operating system. Again, it's not mm-hmm. something that I tend to use as an accessibility feature, but um accessibility features help everyone not just people not just the people who need them especially as they mature over time um this is just this is just the start of this stuff really it's only it's only going to get better to be able Mm -hmm. to control your computer that way and i think it's it's as a kind of bonus mention apple are really really good at adding this stuff into um these kind of uh, this idea of making things more accessible they're really good at actually baking that into their stuff um and i know i take the mickey sometimes because uh, they they um they like to they like to show it off as well uh but it is actually a really really good thing and i as a as a as a kind of sign for that they've actually made these accessibility features um like a top level in the settings now previously mm-hmm. the accessibility features were um scrolled away in under general and so i'm i'm thrilled to see them move that that stuff out the only ones I use are the display accommodations and um, reachability. I tend to use. There's a couple. Actually, there's a few I use. I use subtitles and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, really, really good. Rounding out the macOS section, um, Project Catalyst, which was previously known as Marzipan, and I'm also going to loop in Swift UI here as well. Project Catalyst slash Marzipan is the system that lets you write you uh, iOS apps basically and run them on the Mac. Now, with Swift UI coming out as well, which is a declarative um, UI framework for Swift, um, I am really impressed about this stuff. Like, I, I don't actively use Swift, write Swift, make iOS apps or Mac apps, but 
I I've, I know a lot about how much of a pain it is to make a Mac app. And also, business case-wise, having to support a Mac app as well as an iOS app leads people to go down the electric, Electron kind of route. And I personally think that you know native apps are a lot lot better than you know Electron apps because I've, I've built Electron apps and they don't feel the same way. Um, they also run your you know RAM at like basically fifty percent just by booting up. I'm really impressed by this from a from a business case situation, being able to say, all right, let's run this iOS app on my Mac and also let's add these little adjustments that are Mac only, which actually make it feel like a native Mac app. Um and it is native, that's the thing. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this stuff. I really want to play with it to be honest. And Swift UI coming from a so I write a lot of React in, in the front end world when I can. And um coming from from the react world it's like oh i've got react now natively for uh swift which is great yeah i think i think the thing the thing about this really uh, and i know it's just like this was this was just a thing to round off the mac but um this is is about time um uh and it has been it has been a long time coming but but apple kind of stick at it and they wait until the right moment and uh one of the kind of impressive things from my point of view here is that they at this dub dub, uh, they showed um, a consistent story on the developer experience from uh, a tiny watch on your wrist up to the whatever it is, thirty-two inch Mac Pro. Like, and I think, I think that that even though it wasn't really like a single thing that they pointed to, that was something that was really impressive about um, this particular. Uh, this particular dub dub was <laughs> because I, like, I hate using it, but I love it. Um, <laughs> Just annoying me be, because of, because of the fact that they that it's it, uh, this new framework kind of scales from that, and I think that's it's just really really good. Even you know Microsoft, this is something that Microsoft has wanted for the longest time, but they don't have that small screen anymore. They don't have that phone screen anymore, and so their their platform for for writing these apps at scale across these different sizes and things just. Mm. It's just it's just not really there. Uh, uh, Google is supposed to have this with Android, but it's it's pretty fragmented in the way that it works. Um, it's it's not quite um, as coherent, and it would be interesting to see how this kind of goes in the future. And I think that was like one of the takeaways really for me was that uh, I, like I say, I don't really know what they call it. Is it Catalyst now? Was mm-hmm. Marzipan? Marzipan was the converting, wasn't it? Isn't that the convert? I don't know. No, Marzipan was the internal code name for project catalyst right okay well yeah so um I, I think this is a good i think this is a good thing project marzipan was the project code name for the project catalyst yeah, yeah so, so I, don't, I don't really know why they i don't know what marzipan name. was a great name but um yeah. so just to add on this as well the mac like ecosystem for apps has been kind of getting like the the activity there has been lowering lowering every year like it's just it's no one really wants to make a Mac app anymore, um, but everybody's making iOS apps. It's it's a very important thing to do. You know, it's it's almost it's an industry in it in itself, really, because people you know have made a lot of money from building apps or companies from building apps or whatever. And being able to bring that excitement of the iOS and App Store world to the Mac is is fantastic. Hopefully, we'll see a lot more stuff on the Mac now. Um, I mean. Instagram, for example, don't have an iPad app, so I don't. I doubt they will make an, uh, a Mac app. But I know Twitter um, are also are, are working on bringing 
the uh, Mac app back using their iPad code base. So that's that's great. All right, the last software thing uh, is AR Kit, which they also had a Reality Kit, which is a, a new framework and um, some things there. And I don't really pay much attention to AR stuff, um, but I know you do, Jules, and I know you were probably excited about the demo that was on stage having it being related to Minecraft. So do you have anything to say on this? Yeah, they um, they showed the first uh, their first actual gameplay footage for Minecraft Earth, which was announced recently, which is an uh, an AR game for uh, iOS and Android. They did show that there were some features that would only be available on iOS due to the the new stuff that was added in AR Kit. But whether that stuff comes to the Google platform in the future, who knows? Because next time, you know, whoever whoever releases whatever API, they'll probably use. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really good stuff. I don't tend to use the AR stuff much on the, on the phone so far, but, uh, Minecraft Earth is something that I'm definitely going to try out when it comes up, uh, when it comes out. Um, I believe it's later this year, but yeah, I'll, when it comes out, I'll definitely be giving it a go. Last Mac Pro and the Apple Pro Display XDR. Now, let's just talk about the specs of this thing. Um, it's up to 1.5 terabytes of RAM up to 28 of cores. It has eight PCI slots and there is a bunch of cards that there and, and graphics cards that are supporting as well as the uh, Afterburner card, which allows the Mac Pro to run three 8K streams at once, which is pretty impressive. So this thing is an absolute beast, basically. And you'll probably pay for it, but I think everybody's thoughts around the Mac Pro before um, and what this machine was is different to what they've actually come out with here. They've targeted a completely different market to what I thought they would. Um, and that is the really, really high end, like video production, audio production, photography, and, and, you know, just crazy kind of levels of uh, specs that you need to do that job really well. So they were demoing a lot related to that. Um, but it's pricey, um, starting at 5000 well, $6,000. And it also has wheels. <laughs> you can get wheels on it. But I think, uh, just to add in as well, the, the thing about the previous Mac Pro is that that was designed for form over function. They designed that accidentally putting in a, a thermal limit on it. And this one has kind of gone back to the previous Mac Pro, the cheese graters, um, where it's it's definitely function over form, which is is good. I It has some design quirks. Um, but it is it, it's an absolute beast. I'm I'm I can't say much more than that really. I know you guys were kind of laughing at this, I think. Um well I think the thing for me was that initial as soon as I saw it, it 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 like triggered uh the part the part so we're kind of, as humans we're kind of like hard coded to see beauty in things. And um I didn't see any uh beauty in it it just looked absolutely horrendous um i think it's to do with the shape of the holes in it but the Mm. holes that have stuff behind it um so you know when you when you see something new for the first time you kind of get this instant kind of gut reaction which is it's it is purely based on instinct and my instinct was just like my god this is horrible looking it the the way that everything kind of lined up is just uh, it's really bad. I I can see that they that that it's designed for um for function in terms mm-hmm. of they they reckon that these particular 
holes are better than the holes that they had on the on the so-called cheese grater the the mm-hmm. previous the previous version but that that machine just looked so much more elegant yeah um, than, i'm looking at one right now one. it's just uh it's and 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 this is this is like uh, they, i can't say anything bad about those specs they're really impressive it's an interesting choice for them to go to the absolute highest end but um but it's also understandable you know if you're if you're bringing back a, a really high end series of machines go way to the top why not mm-hmm. uh can't blame them for that but um yeah no no part of me thought it was it was um it was good looking in terms of the design but i you know i get that it's uh, i love the way that the um the handle works at the top mm-hmm. i love the way that it just kind of slides out and the frame just kind of holds there yeah, but the shape of the frame, ah, it's just so weird looking. I, <laughs> I don't know. And 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 this is the thing. Like I I I um I told you uh, afterwards. I think it was the, the the next day. I was like, I am completely open to change my mind. I am, I am not. I this is not a view that I am inflexible on. But it was that, it's that gut yeah. instinct that for, I just couldn't believe that they took the worst parts of the cheese grater design and double down on them. Made them better, right? Well, I don't know. It's just such a, uh, it is better though, because this is the thing. Those, um, those holes in the front were for for air ventilation. And they reckon that the, the, the system that they built now with this kind of like double layering Mm. is significantly better than having lots of small holes. Cool. I get it, but it's just, I have a question for you then, because um, I saw it and I was like, this is a joke. But then it's actually growing on me. And it's growing yeah. on me a little bit because not the thing itself is growing on me. It's more like, okay, I'll ask my question first. Do you think it's in, for a power system, like like a pro system? And when I'm talking about a pro system, I'm not just talking about something that that is like very good at what it does. And, you know, it's like a Surface Book 15-inch, you know, it's for professionals. I'm talking about something that is literally the stuff inside it physically yeah. Yeah. like like okay sorry that that whole thing do you think the aesthetics are more important than the power no okay because i i was reading something uh i think it might have been 3 years ago now um where someone had designed a something basically it was like a, a structural a piece of equipment like out of metal right structurally mm-hmm. it was for holding up buildings a very small thing and you you would put it in buildings and then they got a computer to do it and put some like technical specifications in for how much stress it could with- needed to withstand. The computer came out with something that used 60% or 50% less material, but the thing looked really ugly. Whereas the human being built something that used more, but it looked aesthetically pleasing to the human eye. But it used more, you know, material effectively. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this Mac Pro... And the display are born out of that now. Yeah, and I get, I get. That. Sorry, I'm waffling on a bit. No, uh, no, I, I, com- I completely agree because, like I say, this is why I'm, I'm willing to change my view on it. And, and saying, saying that something is ugly does, does not mean that it doesn't hold yeah. value or isn't useful. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? It, it absolutely is. But I think there's something about us, in particular, like holes in things that that just triggers um 
a, a part of our system that's just it doesn't look right it just doesn't look right this is why no matter how much of a nice person you are or how kind of heart you are if someone has um you know a disfigured face you can't help but but just be your eyes it's just a thing that just happens you just kind of take have a double take and because of the shapes that they've used here it's a similar thing where you just look at it and you're just like what is that and i think they could have they could have resolved it by put you know the second layer of the discs mm. of the holes if that second layer was black there it wouldn't cause this problem it would just have, it would just look like it's got lots of holes in it mm. but it's because it's got this um this what this it's like a, a weird effect especially in the images yeah. where it looks like there's something inside those holes there is though I know. Well, I know. Yeah, I know. But like, it's because it has this, um, the, the the way that the shadows work, it looks like it's poking out and, and it kind of triggers that. Is it called tachophobia? Is it tachophobia? Tryptophobia? I, I can't remember what it is. I'll put a link but in the show notes. It's like this, this, this um, phobia of holes in things. And I think that's what, what triggers it for me is just that it, it just, it looks really weird like that. However... Uh, and I was saying this to to Andrew like the, the day after because like you know I I, I don't wanna, I'm not hating on it because of because of the way it looks right there's no point in that there's no there's no there's no point but it it does look really weird to me. However, if it was under my desk and the screen was pointing like towards me, so I couldn't see the back of the screen because the back of the screen looks just as horrible. It doesn't matter because all yeah. of that would just disappear and you would just be looking at the screen. And you know the amazing power of the actual machine. Yeah. Yeah, and it's an and it's a beast. It's an absolute beast. It's a yeah. really expensive beast, but it's an absolute beast, and that's that's impressive. It is an impressive uh, device. Apple Pro Display XDR, a six K thirty one inch, thirty two inch display, thirty two, I think, which is HDR, um, sixteen hundred nits at max, and can run at one thousand nits continually. Starts at four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. You can also get a uh matte engraving basically lasering which is different to their previous matte screens right yeah on the glass which costs an extra thousand dollars but basically doesn't cause any color issues or light issues basically with what uh matte displays typically do and also the thing that actually i was really i kind of laughed at was that the uh the stand for the actual monitor comes separately uh, which is a thousand dollars. Um, it's machined out, of, machined out of one piece of aluminium. Uh, great. And um, if you want the visa mount, it's two hundred dollars, if I remember correctly, or four hundred dollars. Um, for it, and that's just that's just for a very small piece of metal at the back. <laughs> yeah, the actual display looks okay. Ignoring the back of it with the holes, uh, looks incredible. Um, the like the specs of it are amazing. They're obviously comparing this to that industry that the Mac Pro is is yes. also tailored for. It is a it is the perfect partner for the Mac Pro, isn't it? That's that's right. what it is, yeah. And in those industries they have thought uh they kept you know referring back to this $43,000 reference display which doesn't have as many features as as this display does and also can't run a uh, 1000 nits continually. Um and I was uh, on that same episode of talk show uh when I was listening to this morning these reference displays have like a green and amber light, the hard, a hardware light, which basically says you can trust this image or you can't trust this image. And when it goes into amber mode, you can't trust it. So these displays you can use a lot. And yeah, they're $5,000 to $7,000. But if you can have one of those for 
more people in the line for that same $43,000, then hopefully, you know, you get a better product at the end of it. Um, but I think the thing, I was obviously, you guys know that I was really looking forward yeah. to getting an external display. I have a matte Asus 4K display at the office, and you guys know how much I love the 5K display of my Mac. Mm-hmm. And never wanted to commit to one of the LG ones. What what you want is is a is an iMac, just just a screen. You want that iMac screen. Yeah, basically. And that's that's not what this is, unfortunately. Exactly. And I think I think this. I personally think there's still space for it. I think I there's a too. place for it in yeah. in the lineup. I mean, this, that's the thing. Like, uh, it this this new was it Pro Display XDR. It is. Yeah. It is the same as that Mac Pro. It is the top of the line. Uh, it, in a lot of ways, like the the stand looks a bit funny, and the back looks a bit funny. But again, it it's a, it's about the the function, and mm-hmm. the function on it is extremely impressive for people who need uh, that kind of incredible screen. But yeah. it 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 was a bit of a it's a bit of a shame that they that they have that gap in the in in their lineup because mm-hmm. how I mean I know some people in that audience would but for a good chunk of that audience um like this is just it's too much for them yeah it is not only is it too much in terms of money but too much in terms of of power of what it does yeah right and i think it's a it's a shame that they didn't show something more in the more in the middle but there's there's always something you know it's good for them to be back to making external screens and boy mm-hmm. did they make one <laughs> they they made an absolute beast yeah i mean so in my thoughts about how um what i would want as a display i would literally want them to make the imac display with less bezels that possibly has face id and true tone like this display does this pro display xdr and then just price it so the ideal thing is oh price it like a thousand dollars but I would happily pay up to two thousand dollars for that thing, just because I love these displays so much. And obviously, there's you know the Apple tax as they say on it. So I'm re- like I'm so ready for that, but I don't know if it's going to happen. So I don't know right now whether you know what what I should do because I'm thinking what you know what's next for me. Obviously, I've got my iMac at home, but I've been looking forward to having that kind of display yeah, that kind at of the screen. office. Yeah, I would wait. I would wait some more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna wait, but I'm think you know if something doesn't happen, then then what does that mean? Do I get a an iMac Pro for home and take this iMac into the office? I don't know, and I'm speculating right now. There's no way that I'm thinking about the financial side of this, mm-hmm. or you know, is it possible? But yeah, I think there's still I think there's still space for it a lot. Um, so that's that's all the main announcements from WWDC, and there's a lot of stuff still. I'll put some links in the show notes about like the all features lists and some of the product um, links as well. I think that those are just a lot, and we talked about a lot of the main things here. So I was I was very happy with it. And if you're a developer, or if you're you're really interested in design or how these things are built, then definitely go and watch the WWDC videos, and I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. Jules, I saw something on your desk at work the other day um is it was it, it, it is it orange uh well the, ca- the so the case is like a, a yellow color so uh but the actual device itself is is gray, gray. was it gray yes. okay okay what it's got a lot of buttons on it it has it, got a lot it, of buttons it's it's a pretty device what, what what is it yes so um 
I have been considering this for quite some time and uh, I made a bit of an impulse purchase. I actually asked a friend if I should get it and they immediately replied with yes. So I purchased it. Um, I got myself a uh, Teenage Engineering OPZ, which is a uh, like a sequencer um, and a synthesizer in one small, relatively small uh, little little device. It's... Um, it is a synthesizer. Yes. Now, I haven't really touched any kind of music stuff for about 10 years now. I played a lot with software. I, uh, my favorite was Pre- Propellerhead uh, Reason. Which we made the uh, the Mavis tunes out of. We did, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have been kind of deciding as to what to do about this. I was like, shall I buy the latest version of the software? Because the version I had was woefully out of date. Should I buy you know, get, get a piece of kit. Uh, I, I particularly like Korg equipment and some other stuff, but the teenage engineering, um, I originally saw the, the OP one and I kind of really wanted one. Um, but it's much bigger, um, than, than the OPZ. Um, but when, when they announced the OPZ, uh, I, I knew, I knew that I was going to have one at some point. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And, um, yeah, so it was just a matter of time, and I decided to get one. I am, I have not uh, really had like a good chunk of time on it yet. I've spent a couple of evenings playing around with it. I only got it a few days ago uh, to kind of learn how it works without having a screen. It's a little bit um, more complicated in terms of uh, how to program it. But um, yeah, I I think what I'll do is I'll have to go off and try and learn some more, and then. Um, you know, show you guys something or play yeah. you something in. See the, if you can uh, recreate the Mavis tunes with it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but but it, uh, potentially I could do any kind of thing like that on it. Um, it's it's for the for the size. It's quite powerful. Uh, if you look at the features, it's actually quite cheap. If you think about the size of it, it doesn't seem <laughs> cheap. Um, but uh, one of the things that I did because I kind of showed you guys uh, the way that it's um, like the the build quality and the way that it is uh, designed, like the design language for it. I this is this is much more my cup of tea than the new Mac Pro in terms of um, in terms of the way that it's designed. Uh, I really like it. I think it's a really uh, impressive and uh, piece of consumer electronics, basically. I am really excited for you to to play around with this. I think um, I'm actually really impressed by how much you know of things like Reason. Like, I was lost in that world, and you were like, oh, yeah, you just go into this thing and plug this into here, and then you, you put this on, you put this thing in the middle, wire it up like this, and then you just like, oh, you just sequence things. Yes. And I was like, I'm making things that sound like absolute dog crap, and uh, you're like, oh, yeah, you just do this, and then... We made some great Mavis, uh, Mavis tunes. So yeah, so I would like to be as proficient on this as I as I am with Reason. I know they're different. I you know I know that they're not exactly the same. Um, one of the things with Reason is that you can you basically got infinite tracks, so you can just keep going. Uh, whereas here we've got um, sixteen tracks, uh, I believe. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not even sure. Um, <laughs> and um, and you know it can only do ten. Um, 10 actual uh like programs at once so so there's only kind of 10 slots for saving saving stuff of, of course you can back it up right. and everything else and the you know the number of effects are different and you can't just keep adding things infinitely as you can with reason but i think having some kind of limits like that is actually 
a good thing, especially for yeah. me. Yeah. What do they call it in writing? Like the they the limiting of that. Oh, you can only only use this many letters or whatever in a word or. There's that kind of thing, which which leads to some very fun or interesting kind of writing. Yeah, well, it's I, I'm not I'm not sure uh, exactly with, with what you mean, but like um, it's, <laughs> it is that it is that idea of kind of giving yourself uh, limits to say, well, you know, you have to create something within these boundaries, right? And for example, you know, it has like four channels for doing specifically for like the the drums and percussion, right? with with reason i can create as many drum machines as i want which means that you know i could just go wild on it and it may not even sound good yeah Whereas here you know i i've i've got the the four channels that i want to play with and then i can i can set the sounds that i want in that so uh, when when i work out how to do that um so what the, the approach i've taken so far is uh to uh not go through the manual i, ha- I still haven't gone through the manual and I've been uh, basically learning how things work myself, like just learning how to set the tempo. I think I spent, mm-hmm. I think I spent about uh, probably about an hour just play, just playing around with it. I wasn't doing, there wasn't the only thing I was doing. I was also kind of using my phone um, at the same time. I was just kind of chilling out, like you do. Yeah, just listening to the same thing over and over again. I was just trying to work out how the tempo worked, and it just kind of it took me a while to get there. But <laughs> I didn't look it up instead i just kind of worked it out myself and i think that's for something that doesn't have a any kind of screen it doesn't tell you like what the dials are doing um you just kind of have to change them and listen Mm. it's like living life on the edge isn't it yeah what does this dial do oh my goodness i've set something on fire i won't press that one again um it, it actually does it does have a screen um but it's basically you connect it via bluetooth la to an ios device and then you can see all the things. But while I have done that a bit, um, it is just the more blind trying something to see if it catches fire that's um, that's been quite enjoyable. Uh, it does have the ability to control external devices as well. So it's it's supposed to be like full multi- multimedia. So um, if you are connected to an external screen, you can play uh, audio, sorry, uh, play video at the same time. You can do 3D at the same time. You can control external devices like lights uh, from it as well, so it's a full full multimedia sequencer, really. So I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna um, have a lot of fun uh, playing with it. I would actually mention one other thing about Teenage Engineering. Um, so I've been a, I've been following them for a while, a big fan of theirs. One of the things that you may have seen recently, Andrew, was that um, they partnered with Panic, which is the Mac yeah. app developer. Yeah, I did. To create um, a handheld console called the Playdate. I'm, there's no doubt I'll probably get one of these as well. Uh, it's about $150, which is more expensive than some of the other kind of small handheld devices along the same uh, lines. But with Teenage Engineering as their hardware partner, I can only imagine this thing being absolute joy to, to use. Um, so that's, so yeah. you, you've probably seen other people talk about it too. Yeah, it's been on a few podcasts that I listen to and stuff, um, and all over my Twitter because One Panic are a company that do very, very, very good software, um, and they always have done. Their their style is just always great. They're working on a new code editor, which looks amazing, and I know VS Code is like VS Code is fantastic, and and it's not. I, I don't know. Their new code editor looks fantastic. It looks like a really, really beautiful Mac app. And that means probably more to me than it does to you guys, purely because I use the Mac all the time. But yeah, it looks awesome. 
the the play date I know has been mentioned on a few podcasts, and they've like written their own OS OS for it and stuff like that. Like they've done the entire the entire stack is is obviously theirs and new. Yeah, so it's their their software, um, and obviously they they pick the components. But I think working with uh, teenage engineering to do the actual yeah. industrial design seems like a really good combo. Yeah, basically it'll have it'll have twelve games uh, over time as it after it comes out with a possibility of more, but I think they're only guaranteeing 12 at this time. I heard there was like some kind of subscription service or something where they're going to do it like a game every month or something. Yeah, it's not actually a subscription. Yes, that is correct, but it's not a subscription. Basically, you, you buy it for $150 and they they basically have a season and over, oh, that, right, over that calendar season, they will release 12 games. I think it'll probably ship with one. Mm-hmm. If you are... Uh, buying it as it comes out you basically get that season as it happens if you buy one later you can choose to either have the games automatically appear on your device after a set amount of time or you can just get all the games that are available so if you buy it in a year's time or whatever and all 12 games have been out in the public you can just press a button and say just give me all the games otherwise it'll give you a new game every uh however i don't don't think they've said every few weeks or every month or whatever it is that they're doing which is an interesting choice but it's not there's no uh, recurring payment there. It's just that basically they're they're saying that they know that they've got 12 games for this device, and mm-hmm. um, and that uh, they'll make all 12 of those available to anyone who buys it for this 150 dollars. Yeah, it looks it looks like a really good device. I don't think I'll be buying one, but um, it's got a hand crank. It does, yeah. It has it's a cute. crank on the side, yeah. Teenage Engineering are well known for that. So I've got the OPZ has basically wheels on the front, which have mm-hmm. little Lego connectors, so you can connect it to external external yeah. things to turn them, like robotics or whatever. But yeah, it's, it, it looks like it's following a very similar design language to the OPZ. And it was actually, me looking at the play date was, was what reminded me about how much I wanted the OPZ. So that's, that's kind of what prompted me to mm. uh, have another look at it. So I'm really enjoying it so far. I will tell you more about it when I've actually had more of a play. But if you know, if any of our listeners have any questions or about it or want to know anything, because I know uh, there is quite in, there's still quite a bit of interest in the OPZ, so um, feel free to to uh, let me know if that's the case. And uh, one more thing I was going to say on it is that it charges through USB C, so I now have USB C device again. Thanks for listening to episode 37 of the Mavis Podcast. You can find the show notes for today's episode by going to mavispodcast.com slash 37. You can tweet us your questions for the show at Mavis Podcast. And finally, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Hathaway, Jordan on Twitter at Jordan is on Fire, and Julian is at Julian K.